Um, as Steve said, on this Vision Sunday, I'm going to try and share uh, just my heart uh, with you of what God's been trying to reemphasize in my own life and some things he's shown me. And I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus' dream for his church. And my prayer is, is that as we talk about it, that somehow, like he's done so many times over the hundreds and hundreds of years, that he will capture your heart with his dream and you will find yourselves devoting the rest of your earthly life and beyond to it. And so uh, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word church. I've talked to enough people over the years that have said that sometimes when they hear the word church, they almost want to spit. Just truth, isn't it? Some people have been bruised by the church. Some people have been confused. Some people have been hurt. Some people have been damaged by the church over the years. And it's left a lot of people saying, dream for his church. Is this what Jesus dreamed? And I hope this morning that as we talk about it, you'll be able to find yourself getting more clear about what Jesus' dream is for his church. And that as we get more clear, that we'll be able to live out his dream in this generation. So, I don't know if you've ever seen these words before, but Jesus was so passionate about his dream for the church that he actually said this one time to his disciples, Matthew 16, 18. Let's read this together. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And maybe a more accurate translation, and the gates of death will not be able to to prevail against it. Death won't be able to stop what I'm dreaming about. I will build my church. And again, what did he mean? Well, it helps us, it's helped me over the years to know that the word he uses right there for church is translated, it, the Greek word is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Do you mind trying it with me? It's kind of fun to say. Ekklesia. Ekklesia. And the word, it comes from uh, two Greek words, ek, which means out of, and klesia, you know, klesia is from the word kaleo, which means to call. So it means called out ones. And when this word was translated in Jesus' day, the meaning was clear. It, it meant a gathering, an assembly, a congregation, a movement, a group of people that had a purpose. And so Jesus says, I will build my group of people, my ecclesia, what I'm dreaming about, even as I'm dying on the cross, is that I might purchase an ecclesia, not just a group of disconnected individuals. Now what happened is, is that the first two or three hundred years, the church was so empowered by this understanding of ecclesia that they rocked the world. They literally turned the world upside down. That's what even unbelievers said about the church because they were captured by Jesus' dream for his church. But over a period of time, as things went on, different people began to explain the word church in a different way. By 300 or 400 AD, uh, there was, uh, in Europe at least, this translation of the word ecclesia. Instead of translating it congregation gathering, they began to insert another word, uh, I can't pronounce it very well, kirch or something like that, that, that meant the Lord's house. And this was kind of a throwback to the Old Testament where there was a temple 
and, and there was a building. And so what happened is that instead of people being captured by this idea that Jesus was going to build a group of people, now everyone began to think about the church as a place, as a building, as a hierarchy, as an institution, as a church service, as a style of church service. And when that happened, things began to change, and Jesus' dream for his church began to fade. That is still rippling today. How do we talk? Well, I'm going to attend church. I'm going to go to church. And please hear me. There is a sense of going to the gathering, going to the people. But I'm just saying it's helped me to realize that Jesus always dreamed of being the church, not going to church. And by the Reformation in the 1500s, William Tyndale was a scholar that said, we need to make sure that people, everyday people, even boys that plow in the fields for their dads, should be able to have their own copy of the Bible. And when he translated the New Testament, he translated this word, ecclesia, congregation, gathering assembly. And when he did, he literally paid with his life. He was martyred for that because those that had changed ecclesia to mean a building, a hierarchy, an institution, they didn't like that because they were able to control how the Bible was taught. They were able to control people. And now William Tyndale says, no, no, you've missed the heart of what Jesus said. Jesus pictured a people, not a building. And so the way that I understand that is even the early church met in buildings. They met in homes. There's nothing wrong with buildings. But if we mistake the church for a building, it'll mess us up. It's always messed me up. So I'll tell our kids, hey, I'm going to go to the church building and I'll be right back. That's where my office is, the church building. But it's not the church. And that's just helped me to kind of distinguish that. To be able to say, that's the house where our church family meets. But it's not the church. And just, I know you've probably heard this before. It just helps me to do that. So Jesus dreamed for his church, okay? He talks about it. Then he dies on the cross, and I don't know what you picture Jesus was thinking about in his agony on the cross, but I believe more and more every year that Jesus was thinking about his church. The Bible says is that he gave his blood to purchase a people for his very own. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the what, friends? Church. He dreamed of this ecclesia. And so the early believers that were following him after he died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, then he was buried, according to the scriptures, and three days later, as he promised, he came out of the grave. He was alive, and he appeared to over 500 people over the next several weeks before he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended into heaven, he called his followers together and said, okay, this is only the beginning. Remember my dream? My dream for an ecclesia? You're part of that. And I want you to help other people know that by trusting in me, they can become part of this dream that I have for the world. And so what happens? Acts 2, did I invite you to open your Bibles yet? I wasn't very responsible, was I? Why don't I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts 2? Acts 2, and if you're getting used to your Bible, I think it's somewhere past the three-fourths mark in the back. If you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's to the right in Acts. And I'm going to look at Acts chapter 2. And... Um, Again, Michelle read this earlier, but I want to read a few verses before that so that we can hear and just see what happened. Now, again, 
Several weeks after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the first few followers, just a small group of about 120, were gathering, they were praying, and the Lord did something so powerful. You can read about this later. But it attracted a great crowd. And when the crowd was gathered, Peter, the guy that had denied Jesus three times, stands up and preaches with humility and power in a way that shook this group of people. And look at what happens. He talks to him about how Jesus rose from the dead. And then verse 36, chapter 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Does this make sense? This wasn't just like, yawn, 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 yawn. All of a sudden, they immediately go, God is talking right to me about this. He's using that fisherman guy to talk to me. He's talking about something bigger than me. And I am humbled by that, and I realize that I am not right with God. What shall we do? And what does Peter say in verse 38? Do you see that? Attend church. not what he says what does he say repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and I love this and you will receive the gift of what friends do you see what he's saying is I want you to live with a different spirit I'm going to give you my holy spirit to live in you i love the next verse 39 the promise is for you and your children do you notice how this is not just for one generation you and your children and notice it's not just for right now and for all who are far off when jesus was dying he was thinking of people far from god and not even necessarily part of this generation they were on his heart for all whom the lord our god will what's that last word Call. Remember what ecclesia means? Called out ones. Called out for what? Called out by his dream, for his dream to be all about Jesus Christ instead of themselves. And they were gripped with this. And Peter went on with many other words. He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In other words, literally separate yourself from being part of this world that's just floating along and thinks that's what's life about, and become devoted. Give yourself to Jesus' dream for ecclesia. Come on, understand. And those who heard his message and received it, that day were about 3,000 people were added to their ecclesia. Wow. The next part, which really grabs me, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and you can read the other passages, but it goes on, and it begins to talk about how Jesus' dream for ecclesia begins to be fulfilled. And there are bumps along the road. Sometimes the ecclesia gets it all wrong, but it shows how the Holy Spirit of Jesus keeps bringing them back, keeps bringing them back, and there has always been a remnant, even when people got confused on what the church was meant to be. There has always been a remnant of people that Jesus has had since that day who knew they were called and responded to that call and gave their lives to be the ecclesia. And I don't know about you, but 
I'm gripped. I'm gripped by that. It's changing the way I think about my priorities. And what we notice, and we've pointed this out in the past, in past Vision Sundays, is that we see in this first ecclesia people who love the Lord. Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. Love them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's nothing more important than that. Second, love one another. This is a new commandment I give to you. What makes it new? Just as I have loved you. That's what makes it new. That's a different kind of love than human love. Just try and be nice to each other. No, love one another as I have loved you and then serve the world because even I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many because I care about people outside the ecclesia. I want to add more people to the ecclesia but you need to make sure that you're being genuine. And so that happened and we've talked about that and you can listen to past messages online but today I want to tell you here's what I think Steve was talking about when he heard me talking this last week. I always had noticed the things the church did, like love the Lord, love one another, serve the world. What grips me now when I look at this passage is the spirit of their church. No one's holding a gun to their head. And they devote themselves. They share. They sell stuff that they need to sell stuff. They care about people they never cared about before. And all of a sudden, there is a different spirit. And that's what makes them so different. And I, I know that the minute I start talking about the spirit of a church, it gets kind of confusing. It's hard to explain. It's kind of intangible, isn't it? But here's the takeaway I hope you take away today. Jesus has been showing me more and more and more that he is more concerned about the spirit of a church than what a church does. And what a church does is very important. But if we don't have the right spirit, it doesn't matter what we do. Does that make sense? And so, again, what I want to talk to you about is how, where does the spirit of a church come from? If you peel it back, what's it look like? And I've just come to the conclusion that the spirit of a home, a spirit of a family, spirit of a church, a spirit of a team, spirit of... The way you can tell is it's the sum total of the attitudes of those people. And it's also the difference when Jesus is at work and getting his way. And so I've thought a lot about this. And so what are, there's two attitudes that really strike me in this passage that I want to talk to you about this morning. Two attitudes that can help. They've helped me more than I can tell you in the last two and a half years as we've been declaring war on shallow Christianity. When I find myself becoming shallow again, these two attitudes pull me back. These two attitudes are what Jesus is concerned about because he says, look, look, look. If you give yourself to the Holy Spirit, he will help you have a different spirit than you can have. And he will make that real. And here's the thing. I believe that people outside the ecclesia, if they can encounter Jesus' spirit, they will be drawn. I believe that if people inside the ecclesia can experience Jesus' spirit, it'll make them even more hungry to move from shallow to mature. So I want to talk to you about that. And the first attitude that I see here in the ecclesia in Acts 2 and other places in Acts is the attitude of hunger. They have a deep, ongoing sense of hunger. And have you noticed that whatever we're hungry for, it pulls us forward? It pulls us forward. When we're hungry for something, we move towards that. And what's hunger mean? Hunger means desire, longing for, yearning for, what you're interested in, what you want. And the question is, is what did these very first believers want? 
They wanted, they were hungry to get right with God. They were hungry to know Jesus and his word and his way in their life because they realized that doing life their own way was a dead-end road. And they had a spiritual hunger that didn't just happen at their baptism. It continued on, and they found themselves hungry. How do we see this? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Every day they were saying, teach me, show me, explain this to me so I'm hungry to know it, I'm hungry to apply it. And it may help you just where I first started realizing this. Natalie, um, who was up here this morning helping us sing, Natalie's getting ready to go back for her sophomore year of college. And last year, as she was getting, making, you know, finding her way at, at college in Indiana there, she started visiting different ecclesias, different local churches, trying to figure out a place that she could devote herself and, and begin to, to be part of that. And so as she did that, she went to several. And she appreciated different things about that. By the way, that's my prayer, is that many of our kids will go off to school and they will say, I'm going to find an ecclesia. But so she did that, and when she did that, she came home one day and she said, Dad, I've learned a lot by visiting different churches there, but here's what I miss about Cherry Hills. I was all ears. She said, when I walk in, she said, you can tell, can't you, Dad? There's a lot of hungry people at Cherry Hills for God. She said, some churches you go and people, they, don't, they not only don't open their Bible, they're bored. They could care less. They just want to get this checked off their list. But she says, at Cherry Hills, there's a large enough core of people. She said, I'm not saying everybody's this way. I know some people come because their parents make them come or their husband or wife makes them. But there are people at Cherry Hills, they're hungry. They're hungry. They really do want that. Now, you'll notice that as Acts goes on, these people are going to be persecuted. They're going to be beaten. Some of them are going to be killed. And you know what's interesting? Their hunger doesn't go away. It deepens. It grows. It gets purified. They realize, you know, I still am too much about myself. I need to be, I want to be about Jesus. I'm hungry for Jesus. And that gets purified, and it is so inspiring to me. But here's here's why I'm talking to you about hunger. Walk with Jesus as long as I have, or maybe some of you have walked with him longer, and it's real easy for apathy to set in. It's real easy to go, oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, I know that. Oh sure, I hope they learn that, because I've known that for years. (laughs) See, and what happens is, is you see what's missing there? There's no hunger. There's no saying, I want to know you more. I want to know you better. There's no hunger for holiness. He says, I want to know you where my life is more and more set apart. Instead, what happens? The desire, Jesus says, for other things comes in and chokes our hunger for him. And we become more and more comfortable with being worldly, more and more comfortable with loving the things of the world more than the Lord. And it can happen to any of us, including pastors. And so when that happens, did you know that we actually have a choice we can make? Did you know that when you and I aren't hungry, we're still responsible for that? That you and I can actually say, oh, Jesus, you're, you're showing me that I'm not very hungry. I've gotten so comfortable with certain things. You know what the answer is to that? If you really want to hunger, cry out to him and say, Jesus, I'm not hungry for the purity of a relationship with you like you want to make me. I've, I've not been very hungry for your word. Oh, Jesus, help me. And then continue to feed ourselves. And I'm going to talk more about the word of God next week. 
but you and I, we can be an ecclesia who, like Natalie was talking about, we can hunger and never stop hungering to know the Lord better and to do what he wants and love his dream. The second attitude that I, I was struck by in this passage is humility, is humility. What's humility? Sometimes people think humility is thinking terrible of ourselves or saying, I'm such a loser, I'm such a zero. And the Bible, when the Bible calls us sinners, it's not saying we're worth less. It's saying that we're missing the purpose we are made for, that we're turned in on ourselves. And even though we may still have abilities and things like that, now we're missing the point. And so what humility is, is humility is having a proper view of God and ourselves and other people. We, 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 we don't necessarily think of ourselves as zeros, but we, nor do we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We have an, a clear understanding of how God really sees us, and we accept it, and we embrace it, and we also say, help me look at people differently than I would see them, and that kind of humility goes on. This quote has helped me a little bit. Maybe you've seen this before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In other words, you're, you're actually so filled up now with a bigger picture than just yourself, where you're going, Lord, show me. So instead of leaning on our own understanding, instead of being wise in our own eyes, we find ourselves saying, teach me. Like these first believers, teach me. And if we get sides with each other, oh man, I think my attitude contributed to that. I ask you to forgive me. There's this Correct, correctability, there's this leadability, there's, this, there's just this humility. And, and friends, I don't know about you, but what's the opposite of humility? Pride. And I don't know if you're like me, but I still struggle with pride. And that's why this attitude can get lost in a church. And so what's the answer? Did you know that Peter, who denied Jesus three times, he thought he was so smart, Jesus taught him some lessons about humility. Look at this verses in 1 Peter 5. I love this. It says, clothe yourselves. I'll drop down a little bit. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who, friends? The humble. That's such good news for proud people like me. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And so this church, again, they were people that were capable of powering up. They were capable of having too strong of opinions sometimes that they literally overshot things. And, and so sometimes I've been in meetings or sometimes I'm at home. And my family will tell you that I just, I start to power up. I start to think of myself more highly than I ought. I start to think about, I need to be right. And my whole family can tell you, the atmosphere in the room changes immediately. Pride cools off a room so fast. But sometimes, by God's grace, his Holy Spirit say, Jeff, you're damaging the spirit of my ecclesia. Come on, come on. And his Holy Spirit is so faithful to say, humble yourself, come on, do that. Because when you do, grace will flow again. And I think that people over time have experienced a measure of the power of humility and said, that is beautiful. Pride is ugly. That is beautiful. And the early church had people that said, 
Jesus had me absolutely pegged when he said that I was a selfish person, that I was filled with all kinds of wrong desires. But instead of condemning me, he died for me. And he rose again so that now he can live in me by his own Holy Spirit. And there is hope for proud people. And we can learn how to be the ecclesia as difficult sometimes as relationships can be. He'll help us. He'll teach us. So how does, how does this happen? First of all, the spirit of a church can all be boiled down to your attitudes and mine. So I guess the question I want to ask you this morning is, what kind of attitude are you bringing into this ecclesia when we gather? What kind of attitude are you bringing into your life group when you gather? What kind of attitude are you bringing into the youth group? What kind of attitude are you bringing into your home? Is it one of hunger? I mean, if you were to just take your four fingers and thumb in your palm and just think about one through five, what would you say your hunger level is right now, spiritually speaking, for Jesus, his word, and his way? That might help you just to think about where am I? And wherever you are, you know you can become more hungry again. You can swing back towards hunger if you've gotten away from that. What about humility? Would you be able to look back, and, and as I was sharing some examples, would you be able to say, I, I think as he was talking, I saw a way that I haven't been too humble, and that's actually hurt the spirit of our family or our church. And oh, Lord, please show me how to make that right, because that's what humility does. Is that coming to you? If it is, just know that here's the big idea. The spirit of our church is more important than what we do. It's more important than what we know. It's more important than anything because when you and I are filled with Jesus' spirit, Jesus' dream is being realized. One more thing. The staff gathers once in a while and we talk about what our responsibility is as a staff. And the elders talk about this and the deacons talk about this at times too. We believe that the leaders of the church set the tone. We believe that it's our responsibility to go first. We believe that we, do, we cannot ask you to be hungry if we're not hungry. We believe that we cannot ask you to be humble if we're not humble. We must lead the way. I want to tell you, friends, I may do this imperfectly. I'll go first. I'll go first. I want to learn to hunger. I want to learn to be humble because I believe that if we get that right, the grace of Jesus will be so powerful in our ecclesia that people will knock down the doors to find out how Jesus has gotten to us. And I believe that that could be good news. And so, one last thing before I hand the baton. Did you notice that this dream of Jesus wasn't just for adults? It's for youth and children and every age. And so when Jesus' dream is being lived out, Every age group is affected in an ecclesia. And now I want you to hear what God's been showing Brian, Lee, and Steve for the children, youth, and adults. Well, real quick, as, uh, as I get started this morning, I, I said this in the other services, I'll say it again. I am unbelievably grateful and thankful that God has chosen Jeff Nelson to be the leader of this church. Amen. To have somebody who lives out this hunger and humility, albeit imperfectly, it bleeds on to everybody. And I couldn't be more thankful to be in this with him together and to be his friend. So I'm grateful for that.
Well, the spirit in this dream, as Jeff just said, it, it, it's for the whole church across all age groups, adults, youth, and children. So you're going to hear from me and Lee and Steve over the course of the next few minutes. This might sound like a lot of information, but we want to provide some of the activity behind the spirit that Jeff was talking about. And then Jeff will come back up and connect it all back to humility and hunger. But there's one verse that struck me in the early church in Acts 2, verse 39. And the verse says, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. And the Bible is very clear in passages like this and stories throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, they all say, remember, remember, remember the story and pass it on and pass it on and pass it on to the next generation. We are told in the Bible that teaching God's word is not optional and that parents are the primary faith trainers of their children. God has placed the responsibility of training children in the faith not on the church but on parents, not on small group leaders, but on parents, not on programs and events, but on parents, not on family pastors, it's on parents. And this is a commandment from God, not a suggestion. And as a parent myself, this is scary because I don't live this out every day very well. And so that's why I want this family ministry to be a partnership. I want it to be a partnership, and my prayer and my promise to you is that we will create a family ministry here at Cherry Hills where we will do everything we can to provide a great foundation for your child across the board, nursery, preschool, and elementary. We're going to make Sunday mornings the best they possibly can be. In the nursery, it's for newborns and infants and toddlers. It is child care. But we view that as a ministry where we can love on children so that parents can come to these services and hear the good news of Jesus Christ and apply it to their lives and go home and live differently and disciple their children. We have a preschool area for two-year-old to four-year-olds who have not started kindergarten. And you need to know on most weeks, they study the same scripture and the same story that you study in this room. And so you can go home and say, hey, I learned about this today. What did you learn today? And talk about that and have a conversation with your child. In addition, parents, each week, you're going to get a sheet to take home that will lead you in a conversation with your child on what they learned and an activity that you can go deeper and disciple your child. The third area is the elementary area downstairs, and that's kindergarten to sixth grade. Next Sunday, we're starting a brand new curriculum. It's a three-year curriculum through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We want kids in God's word to declare war on shallow Christianity. And so we're going to go through the Bible. We're going to encourage kids to memorize scripture passages. And the kids will study this in both worship services. And then kindergarten to fourth grade will study the exact same thing more in depth in their classroom. So retention goes up, and parents can talk to their kid about one subject. In addition, fifth and sixth grade Sunday school, we have a fantastic two-year cycle of Old Testament and New Testament. And so we're going to continue doing that. But we want to get kids into God's Word, and we're going to send sheets home with you too. And we encourage you to work on Bible memorization with your child and to 
do some of these activities that you'll be encouraged to do. For instance, next week we start in Genesis 1 to 2. What you're going to be encouraged to do when you go home is to take a walk as a family and take your Bible with you and read the creation story in Genesis 1 and on the first day, read what God created and then have your child point to something and tell you what God created and then you'll do that for day 2 through 7. You are walking along the road, as Deuteronomy 6 says, and it's a simple way to disciple your child in an everyday rhythm of life. We're going to do everything we can to provide children with a great foundation. We're going to make Sunday mornings the best they can be. But if training a child ends on Sunday morning when you leave this building, we have failed you. We've failed you. I just I want to give you a visual that might help show you the limited impact that a church can have. Nat is bringing out the first shopping cart. There's 52 orange ping pong balls in that shopping cart. At best, at best, we have your child for 52 hours a year. That's if you come every single week. 52 hours a year. Parents have their children for 3,500 waking hours a year. Parents are the primary disciple makers in their children's life, and we will do everything we can to resource you and equip you and train you to be the primary disciple maker. But if it is left to the church, it is going to fail. So along with providing a great foundation for your child, we want to provide a great foundation for you because, as I said, this can be intimidating. So we're here to walk alongside you, to serve as a resource, to help equip you to seek, as you seek to pass the baton on to the next generation. Man, I long, I want kids here to hunger for the Lord. And I want them to be humble followers of Jesus who love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. That's my dream. And so when kids get to sixth grade, they go over to the youth group, and Pastor Lee takes over. So I'm going to invite Lee to, uh, to the stage. Well, thank you. Uh, anyways, uh, wow. Okay, in that, obviously I kind of got a little fanfare going on over here, so it's not fair. But in that, we want to partner with the rest of the church in that parenting role one of our goals this year as a youth ministry is to get even better at what we're already doing with parents by coming alongside them and giving them more info of what we're doing, better ways we can come alongside them, get resources and all that stuff. And it's why is because just like Brian showed, there's some other complications with students as they get older. They have what you teach them at home. They have what their friends teach them. They have what their schools teach them. And they have what their culture teaches them. And then I get them, if I'm lucky, one hour a week if they come every week. And so again, it's a huge battle trying to help children to students all the way to adults to, to live out this fighting a shallow Christianity and loving and loving and serving. But here's some cool things that's happened these last three years that I've been here with the youth ministry. First, we've seen a good chunk of students start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've seen a good chunk of students 
get baptized on our baptism Sundays. It's been such a blessing to be a part of that in this church, seeing students go from that to keep growing. But the other blessing is a lot of these students are very hungry to keep going even further, and they challenge me to have to keep growing because if I'm here and they're coming at me, I have to get a little further so I can stay ahead of them, and that makes it a challenge. But in that, another way these students are loving the Lord is Chris Paoni, who is our worship arts director for the youth ministry. Him and I talk about the joy of how when he goes to get volunteers for our worship team, we have a junior high worship team and a senior high worship team now. We're helping them learn how to love the Lord through that and also to help prepare them for someday to come up here and, and lead you guys here. But in that, these kids want to have a hunger to help other students uh, worship. And love the Lord. And in that, I love it because we talk about this, him and I, about how they're humble about it. It's not like I want to be up front and go, oh, look at how good of a singer I am or how good of a musician I am. You know, if that is your heart, then we'll talk. But anyways, <laughs> but in most cases, it's not. It's this. And it's just so cool to see these students feel that way. And loving one another, we have Bethany Rault, who's our girls' ministry director. And she has twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and so the other, the, uh, twice a year they have girls retreats, and they have a blast with that, how to love one another and also love the Lord, and, you know, I, I've seen a lot of pictures from those, and I, I'm kind of glad I'm not there, but they're good trips, you know, <laughs> and stuff in that, but, and we have stuff for guys too, we have a great time, we also do small groups like you guys do as adults to help our students connect with one another at their age slash sex and, and just keep going. But one of the ways that's blessed my heart is part of the serve the world. We try to serve in the church as well, plug students in. We also serve in our community. and We've also had students go around the world to serve on mission teams. But these last two years, we decided to hit a topic in our world that we wanted to fight against. And it was uh, starvation of children in our world. And so these last two years, we have raised money as a student ministry to help fight that and in these last two years the students have raised almost five thousand dollars to help accomplish and help fight against people kids starving around our world but along all that we're already accomplishing we've got more to come it's not all what's happened here there's more going to get uh improved and better but some ways we're going to improve love the lord is we're going to enhance our prayer team this year and get that going even better we're going to work on how to help come alongside students even more in discipleship. One of those ways is this year, starting next week, I'm going to be passing out journals where they're going to get, there's nine packets throughout the year of 30 days, and they're going to do a journey with Paul through the whole New Testament. They're going to start in Acts, and when they get to a book of the Bible, they're going to read that book of the Bible and then go back to Acts and follow, and it's for them to do on their own and keep loving the Lord on their own, not just at youth group or Sunday mornings. But another way we're going to love one another this year and work harder to do that is starting next Sunday, uh, we meet for Sunday school at 9.30 hour. And one of the things that's so hard is we have students that go to youth group but not Sunday school or vice versa. And we've got four classes Sunday mornings. Not everybody knows everybody. And so the first 15 minutes of Sunday mornings from now on for us, we are going to all meet in the gym and connect. And we're going to do some goofy things together and allow them to get to know one another a little bit more and pray together and talk about what's happening in youth ministry together to start doing that even Sunday mornings. And then another way is serve the world. We are going to keep improving very hard on this 
this part of reality where we're, our team is so excited about this, we're going to make it a goal that every other month at least we're serving in our community as while we're trying to plug kids into the church, while we are trying to help kids go on mission trips around the world. This summer, we get we brought um, MFUGE, Mission Fuge, to our FUGE family for camps for every other year. And this summer, we're doing that in Kentucky. We're going to go serve for a week in Kentucky. And so one of my big passions is this. I want students to be as prepared as they can be when they go off to college. You, you hear about statistics. It's not a joke anymore about how many kids leave the church. But here's one of the things I love about Cherry Hills and what we're trying to do together. is the thing that helps keep students in the church is that right there. And so we're going to fight hard to do that so that way students, when they leave here, can uh, be ready to do that fight on their own. And in that, we're going to tag with the adults. And as I do that, we're going to pass it off to Pastor Steve, our teaching pastor. Yes. So how does this apply to adults? Last year, Jeff and I stood up here on our five-year anniversary as a church. I'm just curious, how many of you have come within the last year? You've only been here less than a year. Can you just raise your hand for me? So we stood up here and celebrated five years. Welcome to you. Uh, we believe God laid an initiative on our church for the next five. What does the next five years look like in our church? And you can read about some of the progress we've made on that in your bulletin columns there. Hopefully you'll take a look at that. Uh, but if you want to get more involved in that, there's opportunities. I, I just want to mention again, we keep talking about we're declaring war on shallow Christianity. That's a great slogan, isn't it? No. Listen. We're not about slogans, though, right? You can have the greatest words in the world, and unless it's really happening, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. And so one thing I want you to look forward to this next year is we're going to be doing a church-wide survey. We're going to ask all of you to participate, including ourselves, where we're going to see, just like anybody who's declaring war wants to see, are you making any progress in this war? We want to see if these are just words we're saying or if it's actually penetrating into the midst of our church. So look for a survey called Reveal, where we're going to do that together. We're going to see, are we moving from shallow to mature? And can we actually measure that? Because if we can't, nothing that we say here really matters. As far as love, love, serve, we're going to continue to make Sunday mornings the best we can. But as we've all said, at the very best, we're here 52 Sundays a year. And your responsibility and my responsibility is to love the Lord Monday through Saturday, isn't it? That's what all those other ping-pong balls. So we want to continue to train, equip, and challenge one another to make that an everyday part of my life. Loving the Lord is not something I do on Sunday mornings. We do do that together. We gather and worship. But that's something we do as individuals as well every single day. And so like Jeff said, he's going to talk even next week about the importance of God's word, not just for the church, but for us as individuals as well. As far as loving one another, you're going to hear it over and over again. Life group, life group, life group. Are life groups always easy? Are life groups always fun? No, because you're dealing with people, right? And people are strange and weird and not like me. But that's part of what it means to learn to love one another. Jesus has to love me with all my quirks, and I want to learn to love the way he loved as well. So we're just going to tell you. Life groups are our primary way that we're learning to love one another in this church. And then finally, serve the world. Did you know we sent more short-term missions this year than any other year in our church's history? That is something to celebrate. 
And we want to continue to go after that. But I will say one thing that we talked a lot about at our pastor's retreat a couple weeks ago is what serving the world looks like even more here in Springfield. You see, when Jesus came, he spoke about his kingdom. He ushered in the kingdom of God. And so again, yes, we gather here in a church building as an ecclesia on Sunday mornings, but the church is a called out group. Where are we called out to be? In our city, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. And so I just want to warn you what to look forward to this next year. We're going to go even harder after Serve the World. You see, I'm just going to be honest in my own life. It's kind of easy to love the Lord as far as like, making that a priority in my life, even signing up for a life group. But man, it gets really hard for me to put that serving towel and to go out into the community, to go out into the world as Jesus has called us to do. But I want to become better at that. We want to become better at that as a church. So that's where we're going as adults. And now Jeff's going to come up and just remind us again, the only way we can do that is with the right spirit. From time to time, I've tried to say, you know, how do we know when the right spirit is happening in our church what kind of stuff shows up and I think I can put a couple phrases next to these words one of the things that shows that there's a healthy spirit in the church if I can open this is that we can see hunger when more and more people are part of an ecclesia because they want to I love that so many of you are here not because anyone's holding a gun to your head not just because it's been a habit or a ritual in your life for years, because you want to gather with Jesus' dream of ecclesia. There's a want to. There's a hunger. You have an ongoing desire. And I'm telling you what, it is changing our church family when you're like that. But also with humility. This is something I see when people tell me, you know, Jeff, there's a lot of people that serve here in order to do what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays and life groups and throughout the week. But what I notice is that people aren't just serving. It's not a should. It's not a have to for most of them. It's an I get to. What a privilege that Jesus Christ would die for me and rise from the dead and offer his spirit to me. Now, Lord, teach me how to serve with your spirit. Teach me how to learn to love with your spirit. Teach me how to live in this world with your spirit. And when you and I begin to do that, much grace will be upon us. And Jesus' dream for his church will be realized. In closing, it's really this simple. Is he calling you? Have you been called? Because if you have, you, there's no mistake in it. You know it. It pulls you. But if he's been calling you, if you're a called out one, are you devoting yourself to his dream? Are you devoting yourself to it? Because if you're not, if you're not, that's where he wants to lead you. So we're going to sing a song because here's what I want to just ask you. What happens when children, youth, and adults are all trying to live with this kind of spirit? Do you, do you realize what can start to happen? More than we can possibly imagine. And we're going to sing a song that talks about this. And I think you're going to find a lot of joy in singing this song. If you'll just stay standing, I want to just pray that the Lord of all grace, Jesus Christ, will bring his spirit into our ecclesia in ways like never before, and that we will foster and cultivate attitudes that will deepen that spirit with him, cooperate with him. So let me pray.
Oh, Jesus, just to realize what you were thinking about on the cross, your dream of your church, we're just beginning to understand how huge it is. But Jesus, we want to do the things and devote ourselves to the things that are on your heart. We want to know you, Lord. We hunger to know you. We want to humble ourselves before you as a church this morning and say, we're not the only church you want to do this in, but please do it in us that we might glorify you and that we might remind people and each other of Jesus. I pray that as people go out today, they will realize that even beyond the church building, the attitudes they choose determine the spirit of our ecclesia with you. Amen.